President Biden gives his inaugural address. Biden unleashes his early policy and the media realize they won't have Donald Trump to kick around anymore. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, Inauguration Day. What an auspicious day for the country because it's the dawn of a new era. It's a magical new time. The celebration has begun. And as I've noted repeatedly, I am not a big fan of pomp and circumstance in American government. I really think that the government is supposed to be sort of like your plumber. You call them when you need them, otherwise they should stay out of your house. This idea that we're supposed to have these sort of worshipful giant ceremonies, not a fan, okay? Have, have not been a fan for a long time. I used to say this about the State of the Union address, whether it was Obama or whether it was Trump. Inauguration Day is another one of those, and people treat it as though it's like this massive, wonderful thing. Okay, fine. You want to do that? That's fine. I'm, I'm not so into it. To each his own. Well, the inauguration yesterday was supposed to be a very special inauguration, a magical inauguration, because the specter of Orange Man Bad was finally gone, and a new day was dawning. The sun was rising, spackling the sky with colors of gold and pink. It was an incredible, incredible, magical moment. We're going to get to Joe Biden's inaugural address in just one second. Let it just be noted that all of the talk that we have had about unity over the past several months from Joe Biden, it is very unclear whether by unity, Joe Biden means that you should be respected in your opinion and we should have open and honest discussions and we should leave each other alone or whether by unity, Joe Biden means I want you to obey me. And if you don't obey me, I will use the federal government to make you obey me. So unity can be had in one of two ways. And he's been rather vague about what he means by unity. So on today's show, we're going to explore what Joe Biden means by unity, what the left means by unity, because the real battle that Joe Biden is going to have to fight if he wishes to be a great president for all Americans, as he says he does, is not a battle against the right. It's going to be a battle against the left. It's going to be a battle against his own flank, which is demanding vengeance on people who disagree, censorship of people who disagree, control of all of the institutions of power in the United States in order to make people who disagree agree. It will be unity through purge if they have their way. It'll be up to Joe Biden to stand up to that. Whether he does or not, that remains an open question. I don't think it's going to be open for very long. Okay, so yesterday featured the swearing in of Joe Biden. Oddly enough, he was actually sworn in. It was a coup. Uh, he was sworn in actually 12 minutes early. Uh, so it took effect at noon. He was sworn in at like 1148, which is kind of weird. Anyway, here was uh, Joe Biden being sworn in as president of the United States yesterday by Chief Justice John Roberts. So a Democrat swearing in a Democrat. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. Will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. And we, like all Americans, pray for the success of the president when he protects our rights and for his failure when he does not protect our rights and, in fact, invades those rights. That, that should be the same standard for all presidents, Republican or Democrat. It is pretty incredible on a personal level to see a man who's been striving for the presidency since he was 30 years old finally achieve the presidency at the, at the age of 172. Uh, so that is that is an amazing accomplishment. We have now learned over the past several decades that pretty much anybody can be president so long as they stick around in politics long enough. Joe Biden is older than every ex-president who attended his inauguration. Every single one, right? He is older than Bill Clinton. He's older than George W. Bush. He's significantly older than Barack Obama. So uh, there's that. Kamala Harris was also sworn in. And uh, I will say this was kind of hilarious. So Sonia Sotomayor, who is the Supreme Court justice, very much on the left. She swears in Kamala Harris and proceeds to botch her name. Now, I was informed by our mainstream media that if you botch Kamala Harris's name, if you call her Kamala as opposed to Kamala, that is a that is an element of racism. Right? They said this about Tucker Carlson. They kept saying Kamala. Ooh, is I guess Sonia Sotomayor is racist now. So here's a racist swearing in Kamala Harris. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. Kamala Davy Harris, solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Alrighty, so that's enough of that. Anyway, uh, the celebrities were back in force, and that's going to be one of the more obnoxious aspects of the Biden administration. Honestly, it was kind of a comfort to me 
that there was not a lot of celebrity, outside celebrity involved in the Trump administration. So Trump himself was a celebrity, obviously, uh, a very large scale celebrity entering the Oval Office. But Hollywood hated him. Tinseltown hated him. The music industry hated him. Right? Every time he would play a song at his rally, the people who made the song would be like, we don't want him using that song anymore. And honestly, I kind of found it delightful that the celebrities were not occupying the centers of power. Now we're going to get the merger between Hollywood and D.C. that we had during the Obama years. It, it feels forced and awkward during the Biden administration because Obama was himself a celebrity creation. He had no extensive legislative record. He was not a well-known politician when he entered office. He was more of a celebrity than he was a politician, in truth. I mean, he was almost a messianic figure to many people on the left. Joe Biden is none of those things. He's just a career politician, kind of corrupt, old career politician. And so having Hollywood kind of rush back in full force is, is pretty astonishing. So Lady Gaga showed up to sing the national anthem dressed as a, a member of the cast from The Hunger Games. Uh, I'm not sure why she was doing this. Also, quick note, uh, the Betsy Ross flag is, is okay again. Remember when we had a whole controversy like two years ago because Colin Kaepernick, that moron, suggested the Betsy Ross flag was racist, even though it had flown at the Barack Obama inauguration? Well, it was flying again yesterday at the inauguration. I guess we don't have to worry about that. Also, the national anthem, so controversial that people should kneel for it. I guess we don't have to kneel for the national anthem anymore, so that's exciting stuff. So here was uh, Lady Gaga directly from Pan Am singing the national anthem. What is she wearing? That's supposed to be a dove, but um, it's going to eat her. It's enormous. <laughs> There's a nice rendition of the national anthem. Uh, I, I was not as enamored with uh, J-Lo singing This Land is Your Land, which is indeed a commie song. Um, so she's saying This Land is Your Land. We can stop that. Uh, J-Lo saying, this land is your land as well as America the Beautiful. And in the middle, for no apparent reason, she just threw in Let's Get Loud. So that was weird. Here's J-Lo doing that. So frankly, I'm now disappointed that Lady Gaga did not throw in a, a verse from Telephone into the middle of the national anthem. Just in the middle, she said, rah, 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 rah. Eh, we may as well have had it. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to Joe Biden's actual inaugural address, which people are praising to the skies. The greatest, it's the greatest speech anyone has given in American history, with the possible exception of the Gettysburg Address. Unbelievable oratory. Sure, it kind of sounded like mashed potatoes, and it was a bunch of warmed over pablum, but... It was a magical moment, a magical, magical. The entire media could take a deep breath and go on vacation to Tahiti, just drink their cocktails and um, get their massages. And that's going to be the next four years. So if you've enjoyed the gaslighting of the Obama years, welcome back. We're going to do it all over again. Super exciting stuff. First, let us talk about the fact that you need a VPN. I've been talking about ExpressVPN on the show for months. So why haven't you just gotten a VPN? Just listen to me. Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this. There has never been a more important time to protect your digital rights. That's why I and thousands of my patriotic listeners choose to secure our online data by using ExpressVPN. Did you believe a VPN isn't for you because you can use the internet just fine with that one? Anytime you go online, your internet service provider can see every single site you're visiting. Are you confused about how it works? Well, you shouldn't be. ExpressVPN is an app for computers and smartphones. It encrypts your network data, reroutes it through a secure server. That means you can use the internet more anonymously without having your activity tracked. Do you think VPNs are complex only for tech experts? Wrongo, they are not. With ExpressVPN, you launch the app, you tap just one button to protect yourself. It really is that simple. I trust ExpressVPN to protect my online data because they are rated number one by CNET and Wired, and they stand for my values. Now is the time for you to take a stand Take back your privacy at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get three extra months free on that one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Ben to get three extra months for free. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben right now. Okay, so all of that brings us to the magical moment when Joe Biden gets up and he gives the inaugural address. And of course, what he said was fairly rote, but all of it was against the backdrop of Trump leaving. And so because the specter of Trump has been built up to such an extraordinary proportion, because Trump was supposed to be this gigantic threat to democracy, and because of January 6th, which actually was an insurrection attempt, a failed, ridiculous insurrection attempt, but an insurrection attempt nonetheless, this came against a backdrop of ugliness, and it made the speech seem a little bit different than it normally would have felt without that as backdrop. So here, here was Joe Biden talking about this being Democracy's Day. This is Democracy's Day. 
a day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people, has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious, democracy is fragile, and at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. Okay, well, actually, democracy prevailed before the inauguration. Democracy prevailed when the Electoral College did its work. Democracy prevailed when the states certified their votes. Democracy prevailed when Vice President Mike Pence did his duty under the Constitution of the United States, and Senator Mitch McConnell did his duty under the Constitution of the United States. As far as the fragility of democracy, there are a couple of ways in which democracy is fragile, uh, and they don't all come from the right-wing authoritarians who decided to storm the Capitol building. Okay, the, the, the threat to democracy that is inherent in the invasion of your individual rights, that is very much on the table. The militarization of all of the major institutions in American society against people who dissent, that is very much on the table. So if you think that democracy has prevailed and will prevail forevermore, uh, let me just note here that the authoritarians are very much in control of a lot of institutions in our society. In fact, I will say that if you are worried about the threat to individual rights, you should be worried pretty deeply about the backlash to January 6th. You can think that January 6th was incredibly evil, that the act of evil that was perpetrated on January 6th was disastrous. I, I think it was, obviously. You can also say that the backlash, which has involved the attempt to deplatform and to dismiss and to investigate people who are not involved, to lump in everybody together, to suggest that everybody on the right was like the Capitol rioters or incited the Capitol riots, and therefore we need to crack down on all of that, that is indeed an extraordinarily large threat to democracy and a longer lasting threat to democracy than a, a bunch of moronic criminal yahoos going into the Capitol building and, uh, and doing property damage and threatening life. And so, no, the threat to democracy is, uh, is certainly not over and in fact may be accelerating as we'll get to in a second. Okay, so Joe Biden then suggests that he is going to confront crises that are facing the country. The way he defines crisis, every politician has to have a crisis because if you have a crisis, then you can suggest some sort of outsized solution. It's the crisis that gives you power if you're a politician. If you're a politician and you walk into office and you say, you know what, things are kind of okay. Everybody goes, okay, leave us alone then. But if you can name a crisis, then you can take extraordinary, powerful action against that crisis. So how you define the crisis is quite important to how you define the solution to that crisis and what kind of powers you believe you need in order to solve that crisis. So here was Joe Biden defining the crises that face the nation. We'll press forward with speed and urgency for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. A cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Okay, so let's talk about the crises he's mentioning here. So he started off with a couple of crises that we kind of skipped over here because they are real crises and uncontroversial, obviously. COVID-19 and the economy, which has been largely shut down. And that will require action, obviously. Now, we'll get to his COVID-19 action, which is basically lackluster. Uh, he has no plans to really elevate the vaccine distribution system from what it is, at least not very much. Okay, but then he has a few other crises he talks about. He says, the cry for racial justice some 400 years in the making moves us. Okay, what does he mean by that? Okay, official discrimination in law was made illegal in the 1960s. Okay, private discrimination was made illegal in the 1960s. Okay, it's been two generations since the Civil Rights Act of 1965. So what is he talking about exactly? the cry for racial justice. What is the racial justice he's calling for? The answer, of course, is that he is calling for a new government-run regime that sees any inequality as inequity and sees any inequality as systemic in nature. That if black people earn less than white people, that is definitely attributable to a system. And that means that the system of the United States must be changed and rights must be violated. Individual rights must be violated. Your economic rights, your freedom of association rights, your contractual rights, all of those have to be violated by the federal government. Right. That is his crisis. 
Okay, so you might have looked at the United States and you might have said, wow, it looks as though black Americans are earning more than they ever have, or at least were up until the pandemic. You might say that we now have a system that bars discrimination. But according to Joe Biden, the system requires fundamental change. And so he has to pose the system as a crisis, right? The system is the crisis in Joe Biden's view. Then he talks about the crisis of climate change, the planet itself crying out. Now, the planet itself is not crying out. The planet doesn't care about you. The planet doesn't care about me. It's just the planet. That's it. I mean, it's pretty great. I'm a fan, but let's be real about this. If the planet warms, the planet ain't going to care because it is not sentient. Okay, the question is how we are going to deal with it. And when you declare that climate change is a crisis, this provides you with the impetus to be able to basically do whatever you want, no matter how bad the policy is. One of the amazing things is when you talk to people who are left wing behind closed doors on climate change, they will fully acknowledge that an enormous amount of climate change is already baked into the cake, that the best that we can do right now is adaptation, that mitigation is not going to be the chief mechanism whereby human beings deal with climate change. But when they go out in public, then it's like, we should all stop flying planes. We should all stop using cars. It's like that, none of that is effective. <laughs> it really is not. And then finally, he suggests that he is going to fight the rise in political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism. And we're going to confront it, and we're going to defeat it. And now, on the surface, this sounds utterly uncontroversial. Who's a white supremacist? Who likes those holes? Right? Who likes those jackasses? Like, who? No, no one. Okay, the white supremacists. No one likes them. They are horrible, horrible people. Okay, who likes domestic terrorists? No one. Go ahead and prosecute them. They're involved in criminal activity. Political extremists. Now, here's where we start to get a little dicey. Are we talking here about folks who are, you know, conspiracy theorists who believe dumb stuff? Even if they do, that's protected by the First Amendment. But here is the thing. When Joe Biden says white supremacy, he doesn't actually mean members of the KKK. He doesn't actually mean members of white supremacist groups. He means broadly writ what the left has been claiming white supremacy means, which is any element of conservatism is white supremacy. If you voted for Trump, it's because of white supremacy. If you believe that the government should not be a fundamental part of your life, it's because of white supremacy. We've had full-on displays at the National Museum of African American History that suggest that white supremacy is the reason for people believing in the meritocracy. We have colleges teaching people that white supremacy is saying things like, I am colorblind and judge people on their individual merit. White supremacy is anything and everything that opposes the left's agenda, according to the left. Right? That's why they've been using the term white supremacy, because they, they completely ran out of steam with the term racist. It was thrown around so much that it lost all meaning. So now they've moved over into white supremacy. Now, normally what white supremacy means is that you believe, as the term would suggest, that white people are superior to other people, right? They are supreme white supremacy. Okay, but not a lot of Americans actually believe that because it's dumb and it's ridiculous. So instead, white supremacy has been expanded to include virtually everyone you don't like. Everyone is a white supremacist. This is where things start to get really dicey. It's why the definitions of words matter. Now, Tucker Carlson noticed this, noted this on his show last night. He's, he's exactly right. This is not a matter of semantics. How you fill in the vessel that is defined as white supremacy is going to define whether we remain a country or not. Because if you're just saying we are going to keep an eye on and monitor people who actually believe in a white ethno state, then first of all, there's First Amendment protections for them. But at least you're targeting the right ideology and the right people. Right. If, however, your idea of white supremacy is disagrees with Joe Biden or Barack Obama, then we have a bit of a problem. And here's the thing. I think it's pretty clear which way the left is moving on this. I'll give you an example in just one second. OK, a personal example in just one second. First, let us talk about your need for life insurance. So if you're a responsible human being, you have to make sure that your family is taken care of in case, God forbid, something should happen to you. If getting life insurance is on your to-do list for 2021, Policy Genius can help you cross it off with ease. Policy Genius makes it easy for you to compare more than 30 top insurers at once and save over 50% in the process. Plus, there's no hassle because their licensed experts work for you, not the insurance companies. Here's how it works. First, you head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will then compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. If you hit any speed bumps during that application process, they'll take care of everything for you soup to nuts. Make this the year you finally cross life insurance off your list. Get protection for your loved ones. Go to policygenius.com and get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Start the new year with one less thing to worry about. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and extraordinarily important to get it right. Make sure your family is protected in case, God forbid, something happens to you. Head on over to Policy Genius. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes, policygenius.com. Okay, so here is an example of what the left means when they say white supremacy. They don't actually mean white supremacy. They just mean you disagree. Okay, this is why when Joe Biden says he's going to target white supremacy and the rise of white supremacy, 
unless he's very clear that what he means by the rise of white supremacy is the rise of actual Nazi groups, the rise of the KKK, right? The kind of people, the, the FBI arrested a white supremacist for planning to murder me and my family not a couple of years ago, right? Not a fan. Terrible, terrible people. But I don't think that's what the left means. Here's the evidence. This is not what they mean. So Karen Atia over at the Washington Post, who is a truly egregiously bad columnist. Right? Every single column is basically the same, and it's all about how America is is racist and evil and bigoted and all the rest, right? So she has a piece today. It is titled, The Media Had a Role to Play in the Rise of Trump. It's Time to Hold Ourselves Accountable. She says, in his inaugural address, Biden spoke about a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. The laudable frankness about the threat of white supremacy surprised me, but I wish I could share his confidence about confronting and defeating it. She says, since the Capitol siege of January 6th, federal and local officials have been scrambling to fortify Washington and its institutions against the threat of white supremacy and violence, but one national institution remains painfully vulnerable, the mainstream media. The breaches to our fourth estate came long before January 6th, of course. From the moment Trump entered the 2016 race, endless oxygen was given to his racism and lies. White supremacists were deemed worthy of profiles, noting their haircuts and wardrobes, or allowed NPR airtime to rank the intelligence of the races. The breaches continued as ex-Trump officials were allowed to profit from distorting the truth to the American people through TV analyst spots, book deals, and Harvard fellowships. So she's saying that at least Stefanik, the Republican congresswoman from New York, is a white supremacist. And if you had a TV analyst spot after having worked in the Trump administration, that was white supremacy. If you had a book deal, Josh Howley is a white supremacist. Our media ushered all this through the door under the aegis of balance and presenting both sides, says Karen Atia of the Washington Post, as if racism and white supremacy were theoretical ideas to be debated, not life-threatening forces to be defeated. Never would I have imagined that I would say Biden's stance on white supremacy is more progressive than the media's. But here we are. It took white blood being spilled and elite lawmakers being threatened for other sectors to confront the need to forcefully guard against extremism. In the wake of the Capitol insurrection, which left five dead, corporations pulled support from GOP politicians who supported the assault. Okay, no GOP politicians supported the assault. Zero. You can't name them. Seriously. Okay, if you can name them, they should be prosecuted because that is a crime. Several Capitol officials resigned. Twitter kicked Trump off its platform. Apple and Google removed Parler, which has increasingly become a haven for extremism from their app stores. But, says Karen Atia, here's where it gets really good. The media still seems unwilling or unable to reform itself. There have been no major efforts as an industry to systemically, to systematically examine the role we played in America's journey to the brink. Just this week, the New York Times devoted a podcast episode to the feelings of Trump supporters. See, if you, if you actually ask about what Trump supporters are feeling, you're devoting time to white supremacy. Barely a week after the siege, Politico came under fire for allowing right-wing personality Ben Shapiro to guest write its popular playbook newsletter, despite his history of racist and Islamophobic statements. Politico editors defended platforming Shapiro by putting on the rusty army armor of both sidesism, noting they had published MSNBC's Chris Hayes as a voice from the left. Politico editor Matt Kaminsky also said mischief-making has always been a part of Politico's secret sauce. After the past four years, it was startling to see a comment so in the spirit of CBS chairman Leslie Moonves' mercenary 2016 assessment of Trump's campaign that it may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. Has so little been learned? Media coddling of those who attack racial and religious minorities is not mischief-making. It is willful moral malpractice. I'm reminded that in this country, white people once gathered to watch the public lynching of black people and even made souvenir postcards of the event. I'm reminded that in America, white racism against minorities is titillating, not disqualifying, because it is profitable. And that is why I worry America will find its, itself in this place again. So this means that we need to push uncompromising anti-racism. We need to push everybody out of the media who we don't like. I mean, this is what she is saying. She literally is saying that because Politico had me write the playbook, because Politico, a political insider website, had me write the not particularly well-trafficked playbook. This was white supremacy, me. Literally the number one target of white supremacists in 2016. If, if you print a column by me, you are now complicit in white supremacy. So let me just say, I have very little trust that the left's definition of white supremacy is limited to actual white supremacists. By the way, it's not just Karen Atia. This is a very commonly held perspective on the left. Everything you don't like is the outgrowth of white supremacy. And we've had people suggest the national anthem is a white supremacist anthem. We have had people suggest the American flag stands for white supremacy. We've had people suggest over and over and over again that if you voted for Trump, you, in fact, are in favor of white supremacy. And if you think that the levers of government are not going to be turned against everyday Americans, uh, let me present to you the actual criminal John Brennan who lied when he was head of the CIA. He lied to Congress about monitoring their communications. 
Here he was yesterday explaining that intelligence is going to be targeting white supremacy. And then listen to the way he describes white supremacy. So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, Mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. So just to be clear, The way he cobbled together that group of people was religious extremists, authoritarians, fascist, bigots, racist, nativists, even libertarians. Libertarians. Okay, so I have a feeling that you are using this term white supremacy to just mean anything I don't like, which makes perfect sense, by the way, because this is actually what Ibram Kendi, who is kind of the popularizer of all this nonsense, has said. If you're a critical race theorist, like Ibram Kendi is, what you believe is that all of the structures of America are inherently white supremacist. If you believe in the 1619 Project, you believe that America is inherently a white supremacist country. And in order to fight white supremacy, you have to fight against all those structures. And if you stand up for the structures, if you stand up for the Constitution or the Declaration, if you stand up for individual rights, those are all just the the superstructure of white supremacy that must be defeated. So when Joe Biden says that he wants to fight white supremacy, does he mean that he wants to go after, you know, the Richard Spencers of the world? Does he mean that he wants to go after the Unite the Right rallies of the world? Or does he mean that he just wants to go after everybody who believes in the Constitution of the United States and Declaration of Independence? He's utterly unclear on this. The rest of the left is not unclear. This is why I say Joe Biden's presidency is going to be judged on whether he has the stones to actually stand up to his own side, which has broadened the definition of deplorable and awful out to include everyone who disagrees. Okay, and then Joe Biden gets to his talk about unity. So back to his inaugural address, he talks about unity. And again, I wish that I had more faith that when he talks about unity, what he actually meant was unity of purpose in fighting things like COVID or unity of purpose in believing in the individual rights guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States. But his left does not believe that, not in the slightest. So here is Joe Biden talking about unity. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity, unity. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Okay, so that all sounds really, really nice. I mean, that that sounds nice. He asks all Americans to join him in the cause, and it's going to be wonderful. We're going to have some unity. Okay, but let me just point out that once again, the unity that he is suggesting is a unity against, right? It's not just unity for, in favor of individual rights. He never says unity in favor of X. He just says unity. And it's unity against people who are racist, nativist, fear, demonization. Okay, so how does he define those terms? I don't know. You don't know either. That's kind of a problem. Clarity is what provides agreement or disagreement. Vagary provides dishonesty. And this was either a wonderful unifying speech or highly dishonest. And we're going to find out in very short order which one it was. And if you say that I'm being a little bit cynical about his call for unity, that, you know, when he talks about unity, he really means it, that we need, that he, he understands that we can disagree. Maybe you'll be right. Maybe you'll be right. But I think there's a little bit of a reason for the cynicism. Okay, so here he continued along these lines. He said, politics doesn't have to be a raging fire. We can take the sting out of politics. Again, I don't know if what he means by this is basically cool your passions because I'm in charge now, or I really want to hear your opinions and we'll have a discussion. Then we'll come to a mutually agreeable exchange of ideas and and find a conclusion. It is it's not clear to me which one of these he means. I think I have a few indicators, which I'll get to in just a moment. Here was uh, Joe Biden yesterday. I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation, but the answer is not to turn inward. 
to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like look like you or worship the way you do or don't get their news from the same sources you do. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts. Sounds wonderful. Now, flashback. This is 2009, January 2009. A young politician, an inspirational messianic figure named Barack Obama, takes office with an extraordinarily high approval rating. And what does he do? He immediately calls for unity, right? I mean, we have to get some unity going here. So here's Barack Obama in 2009 using exactly the same kind of terminology as Joe Biden. On this day, we gather because we have chosen hope over fear, unity of purpose over conflict and discord. On this day, we come to proclaim an end to the petty grievances and false promises, the recriminations and worn out dogmas that for far too long have strangled our politics. Remember all the unity that broke out right after that when he started pushing enormous stimulus packages, a complete rewriting of the American healthcare system and identity politics, remember that? So when people say unity, I'm gonna need some evidence that what you actually mean is real unity. Like the other Americans, they're not your enemies, as opposed to shut the hell up and obey. Right? Believe and obey also provides unity, just not the kind of unity that's actually gonna solve the problems the country faces. We'll get to more of this in just one second because the media were just gaga over this. Not Lady Gaga, just gaga, just over the moon. We'll get to this in one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you need to save money this year, okay? The year is starting off on an economic low note for a lot of people. You cannot afford to be spending all this money on a cell phone bill you don't have to pay. Okay, well, when your family switches to Pure Talk USA from AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, you could save over 800 bucks a year. That is real money every single month right back in your pocket. You don't have to sacrifice coverage. Pure Talk is on the same network as one of those big carriers. They charge you half. That's right, no gimmicks, no fluff added to your bills, which is why Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs. How about this offer? Right now, get unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. And if you go over on data usage, they're not gonna charge you for it. Grab that mobile phone, dial pound 250, say... Ben Shapiro. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. That's Pure Talk USA. They are simply smarter wireless. Right now, you're overpaying because you're paying for unlimited data that you're not using. Instead, why not get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for 30 bucks a month? And if you go over, they're not going to charge you for it. Head on over to Pure Talk USA right now. You'll save 50% off your first month when you dial pound 250 and say my name, Ben Shapiro. That's Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Okay, so the media, of course, were just drooling over this. Because they've been waiting for four long years for Donald Trump to go away. And this was going to be the restoration. Now, yes, it's the restoration of the pre-Trump era. And the media have created this mythical, wonderful Obama era in the same way that JFK's administration was Camelot. The Obama era was scandal-free. The only bad thing that ever happened is he wore a tan suit. Everybody loved each other. Sure, there were race riots in 2016 and cops got shot on the streets in Dallas. And sure, we had the slowest economic recovery in a century. But, you know, everything was fantastic under Obama. And now we get to return to that magical time. Chris Wallace was just enamored of the speech. He said, this is the best inaugural address I have ever heard. Well, okay, say three lines of it. Really, right now, what was the most memorable part of that speech? Here is Chris Wallace. We must end this uncivil war, and the way we can do it is if we show each other a little tolerance and humility. Martha, I thought it was a great speech. Um, I've been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961. John F. Kennedy asked not. I thought this was the best inaugural address I ever heard. It was just wonderful. Because he said, he said, we have to end this uncivil war. And then he proceeded to sign a bunch of incredibly divisive executive orders into law. And is he going to hold that left in check? Barack Obama said exactly the same kind of stuff as Joe Biden did yesterday. Okay, it did not end with America coming together. It ended with an extraordinarily more divided America, which, by the way, resulted in the election of Donald Trump. Okay, the, the rest of the media were even worse than Wallace. So CNN's John King. He was like, oh my God, it's like a breath of fresh air. Oh, we can all breathe again. We can all go on vacation because they're just going to tell us the truth. We're not going to have to monitor them. We're not going to have this Trumpy crazy guy out there. Oh, oh, it's just amazing. It's like breathing fresh air. Oh, John King. 
President Bush is happy today to be there as a Republican. Even Mitch McConnell, who was with President Trump for most of the last four years in recent days, has made it pretty clear he wants to shove President Trump to the sidelines if he can, to be part of the Republicans trying to do that. Uh, and so there's a cleansing there's a, an air of cleansing about today. Uh, there's an internal fight in the Republican Party about President Trump, soon to be former President Trump, that's going to continue. Okay, meanwhile, the New York Times headline, okay, headline this morning, whether or not related to the former president's absence, a bipartisan lightness seemed to prevail across the stage at President Joe Biden's inauguration. Snow flurries gave way to sun. I'm not kidding. That's actually a headline in the New York Times. Snow flurries gave way to sun. You see, the universe itself was smiling on Joe Biden. The weather itself reflected the joy felt by all, including God himself, at Joe Biden's ascension to power. What a magical moment. Oh, it's like Ralph Waldo Emerson speaking about how nature reflects us. It's transcendental. Oh, incredible. Here's CNN's Van Jones saying that, that this was just, it was medicine in the wounds. He's going to bind us all. It's going to be, oh, everything's healed, guys. It's all over. America fixed all your problems. Over. By the way, yesterday was the single greatest COVID death day of the entire time in America. And Joe Biden said yesterday that um, they're downplaying their expectations for vaccine distribution and all that. But it, stop that. It was amazeballs. Everything is going to, from here on in, it's just gravy city. It's going to be unbelievable. Here was uh, Van Jones. He spoke from the depth of his soul and we needed this. You know, that was beautiful. You know, beauty heals. Beauty heals. There was not one part of that that wasn't just medicine in the wound. And if you have any doubt that one person can make a difference, that one person's voice, one person's commitment, one person's you know, bedrock faith can be the, 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 the pivot point for a nation, just watch that speech again and look at, look at how the country responds. I mean, there's one man who can make a difference. It is this geriatric old corrupt politician from Delaware who's going to bring us together. Now, listen, I hope he does. I hope that what he means by unity is actual unity. I have serious, serious doubts. Again, the media coverage here is just astonishingly ridiculous. So my favorite here is um, the tweets from the celebrities. The tweets from the celebrities are always the best because when I need uh, a little bit of edification, I go to extraordinarily rich and famous people explaining to me why we need elites running our lives. Oprah Winfrey tweeted out, decency and compassion restored. Hallelujah, President Joe Biden. Yes, great. Reese Witherspoon tweeted out, what an incredible moment for us all to witness. I, I know, it was like, like the birth of my child, frankly, was watching this old doddering guy take office. While the division in our country is still painfully real, I'm optimistic this is a moment of recommitment to each other, a commitment to becoming a united states again. Today, I feel hopeful for the future of our nation. I'm sure you do. Now, let me just say this. If a Republican had taken office and, uh, and then given that exact same speech, like a not-Trump Republican had taken office and given that exact same speech, uh, they would not be saying any of this. George W. Bush said that kind of stuff all the time. Left hated him. Jimmy Kimmel, who's just a, an activist masquerading as a comedian, said, congratulations to our new president, Joe Biden, and VP Kamala Harris. We know you will do your best to make America good again. Wow. Oh, it warms the cockles of your heart, doesn't it? And then we've got Kerry Washington. Again, all these are Democratic activists. So much work to do. But today, I want to celebrate and pray and revel in our tremendous power, even against all odds, to make history happen. Yeah, that's the part they care about, right? It's the tremendous power, unlimited power. And this one was my favorite, personally. This is Mindy Kaling, an extraordinarily rich, famous, talented, and powerful woman tweeting out a picture of her daughter watching the inauguration of Kamala Harris and saying, it matters. Happy inauguration. You know what? Honestly, until, until Mindy Kaling's daughter saw Kamala Harris become vice president, she'd never known that women could be powerful and rich except for her mother, who's extremely powerful and rich. I mean, she needed to see Kamala Harris on TV. It was, it was very, very important. I, I hate this kind of crap. I hate it with a passion. Uh, yeah, I, I've never said to my, I have two daughters. I will never say to them, look at that politician. Until you saw that politician, didn't you believe that you were limited? But now you see, by the way, they never would have said that if, if Sarah Palin had been elected vice president in 2008, obviously. Okay, so in a second. We are going to be getting to the unifying actions, right? So it's the actions that matter. The unifying actions of Joe Biden. How unifying are they? And the answer is, nope. He is just a typical Democratic politician. He's going to be incredibly divisive. He's going to go too far in his policy. 
And he'll try and suggest that his attitude makes up for all of it. I hope that he has a better attitude than his predecessors. But you know what? That ain't going to make up for the fact that if you drive dramatically top-down policy, unity ain't in the offing. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the underwear that grace your tuchus. When you start every morning in Tommy John underwear, you are that much more comfortable. You can do everything better. Trade out whatever cheap underwear was sliding down and riding up last year for Tommy John. You can finally get the comfort you deserve. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. What kind of innovations are we talking about? Well, they've got these breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabrics, four times the stretch of competing brands, so it moves with you, not against you. Tommy John underwear comes with a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up. Each of Tommy John's 13 million pairs of underwear sold are covered by a no-wedgie guarantee, which definitely would help me in high school. I am wearing Tommy John underwear right now, and they are just wonderful. They grant me the comfort level. Politics does not. There is no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Try Tommy John today. If you don't love them, they are free. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Save 15% on your first order. Go right now. Save 15% right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Again, that is TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. TommyJohn.com slash Ben to save 15% on your first order. You can see the site for details. Oh, if you haven't heard about it yet, Daily Wire's in the entertainment game. Last week, we released our first film, Run, Hide, Fight, exclusively for Daily Wire members. You can catch it at dailywire.com, on our mobile app, on our streaming apps at Apple TV and Roku. If you're not a Daily Wire member yet, use promo code RHF to get 25% off to watch it. If you want to compete in the culture and help us compete in the culture, we need your help. We need your membership. We picked up Run, Hide, Fight after Hollywood Studios turned it down because it was, quote unquote, distasteful. Hollywood didn't like the film because it is not a leftist talking points film. It wasn't pro-gun control and it celebrates bravery. Run, Hide, Fight follows a 17-year-old girl named Zoe who's just trying to get through the last days of high school when she has to face down a bunch of evil school shooters. Reviewers are saying things like, while I found this film considerably less distasteful than I imagined I might going in, it's still being released by some despicable people. The film's underlying themes are gross. That said, more entertaining than one might assume. That'd be Dominic Griffin. Again, these are left-wing critics. Jessica King. Jikyang. At literally no point in this weirdly lumbering, sluggish movie's narrative does its grotesque tastelessness ever appear to have occurred to anyone involved. The critics hate it. They hate it. So the critics despise the thing. Um, but you love it. Almost 2,000 new audience reviews have come in since they opened to comments. The audience score is currently 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. You, the audience, you're the people we care about. We make stuff and we bring stuff to you that critics hate and that you love. We hope you'll join us and become a member today over at dailywire.com. Remember, you'll get 25% off when you use promo code RHF. Go watch the movie. If you like it, leave a review. This is the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So we were promised unity, right? Unity. Well, the media who love unity, right? They love it, into it, super into unity, want unity because Joe Biden wants unity. And we know it's going to be a very unifying time full of unitying. Now, here's Nicole Wallace on MSNBC suggesting that Republicans should just be banned. It would be my policy that a Republican must assert the truth before they're allowed to share any other views. And Lindsey Graham, I understand, appeared somewhere today and refused to um, really go far enough in, in beating down the lie. If we can protect against counterfeit dollar bills, we should be able to protect against fake news that we now know has the potential to kill people as it did two weeks ago. Oh, so we're going to crack down on fake news, are we? Oh, that's unitying. You see, there's a First Amendment here, but we need to crack down on fake news. Then she brings on Ben Rhodes, who who's a damned liar. Ben Rhodes was the worst liar in, in an administration full of them. Ben Rhodes, the fiction writer, made national security advisor to, to Barack Obama, overtly admitted that he lied to an echo chamber of people about the Iran nuclear deal and used them as his propaganda tools. And here he was explaining that in order to in order to protect national security, we have to detox lies and hate. I mean, the gaslighting over the next four years is going to be so strong. It's going to be it's going to drive you up a wall. It's why you should listen to the show, because we're going to remind you that you're not the crazy one. Some of these folks are the crazy people. Here is Ben Rhodes again, absolute liar, awful human being suggesting that national security must be must be upheld by, quote unquote, detoxing the lies. And hey, this doesn't sound authoritarian at all. There's a broader societal issue that it's going to take many years to detox the disinformation, the lies, the hate that has been spread. A whole segment of the American population has been radicalized by what has happened over the last four years and by the fact that Donald Trump is no longer there. They can no longer see Donald Trump kind of representing their grievances in the highest office. And so those grievances are going to go back underground. 
Uh, and I think there's a lot of work to be done uh, to, to deal with the broader societal issues that go beyond what even national security, homeland security professionals could do. Amazing. I mean, I, I need to hear about truth and lies from from this schmuck. And perfect. Just just need to hear about that all the time. By the way, the media were very much in love with Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki was a liar for the State Department under Obama. She is now the chief liar for as press secretary for Joe Biden. And listen, I don't begrudge her the fact that she is a professional liar. I mean, this is what press secretaries do. Okay, Robert Gibbs is a liar. Jay Carney was a liar. The, the Bush administration press secretaries were actually fairly honest, but the, the Obama ones were certainly not. They used to lie routinely. Okay, well, now she's, it, it, she was obviously in Obama State Department. I mean, she literally admitted to lying to the media while she was in the State Department for Barack Obama. Now she is the White House press secretary for Joe Biden. And she immediately just starts being asked softball questions. And the media are like, she's an amazing press secretary. So yesterday, in her first press conference, she was asked questions like this one. Get ready for this hard-hitting reporting. You ready? Here we go. Will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color scheme change? This is such a good question. I have not had the opportunity to dig into that today, um, given the number of executive actions, orders, question. the inauguration, a few things happening. Um, I will venture to get you an answer on that, and maybe we can talk about it in here tomorrow. It is such a good question, guys. Is he going to change the, the furniture arrangement in the Oval Office? <gasps> he did. It was a big story. He put up a bust of MLK and he put up another one of Cesar Chavez, by the way, opposed to illegal immigration. Whoops. Okay, but, I mean, those are your hard-hitting reporting right there. By the way, the media put out stories today about how Jen Psaki's first press conference, it was filled with honesty. She said two overtly false things in the middle of the press conference. First, she suggested that Joe Biden was rolling back the so-called Muslim ban. There is not a Muslim ban. Muslims have been entering the United States throughout the, uh, throughout the Trump administration. There's a ban on immigrants from particular countries, some of which were Muslim and some of which were not. Okay, so that's an overt lie. Overt lie number two, she is asked specifically about Joe Biden's position on the Hyde Amendment. And she says, I don't have any information on that right now, but he's, an, he, he's a Catholic and you know, Catholics are pretty pro-life. Thank you for not giving us an answer to anything there and the media just clapping like seals. Get ready for this. We're gonna get years on end of this, years on end. And remember, Joe Biden, he is in favor of norms. He doesn't violate norms in any way. Well, one of his first moves is firing a labor arbiter. Okay, so th this is according to the Washington Free Beacon, Bill McMorris reporting. President Joe Biden fired an independent federal labor regulator within hours of taking office on Wednesday in an unprecedented move that was cheered by labor unions. Within minutes of his inauguration, Biden threatened to fire National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Peter Robb if he did not voluntarily resign his position as top prosecutor at the agency. Robb, whose four-year term was set to expire in November, rebuked Biden's demand saying it would undermine the independence of the agency and the enforcement of federal labor law. It was my understanding the incoming administration intended to foster civility and unity in this country and in the governing of this country, promising to adhere to the rule of law and enabling its chief law enforcement officers, the independents, free from White House interference to enforce the laws of the United States, said Rob. A presidential removal of the NLRB's general counsel prior to the expiration of his or her term violates these promises and principles. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter because you see Biden's doing it. If, if, Donald Trump came in and he fired a bunch of people like Preparara. It was the end of the world. End of the world. Unprecedented. Unbelievable. Even though it is pretty precedented for presidents to come in and then clear out the DOJ. But here you have a really unprecedented act. You have an independent, an independent general counsel appointed by law to a term that ends in November and he's being fired right off the bat. Media can't be bothered with it. Doesn't matter because unity is happening, guys. Unity is breaking out all over, just all over the place. Insane levels of unity. Great, great stuff. Okay, so in just a second, I want to get to some of Joe Biden's initial actions because the unity is not there, okay? There is, the, for, for a guy who's pushing unity, let's talk about um, Joe Biden's first day executive actions. So he has a bunch of them. There were 17 executive moves that Joe Biden made just hours after his inauguration. Some of these were relatively uncontroversial, right? Some of them were memos and directives to agencies. He said, I'm going to start by keeping the promises I made to the American people. What were those promises? Well, he halted all funding for the construction of the border wall. He reversed the travel ban targeting largely Muslim countries. Okay, largely Muslim means some are Muslim and some are not. So presumably we're now going to just start bringing in people from countries where we actually can't verify who these folks are. And then, of course, he rejoined the WHO, which is a Chinese cat's paw. He also imposed a mask mandate on federal property, which is exciting. He then proceeded to violate that mask mandate by going on to federal property without a mask. So that was, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Other things that he did right off the bat. Well, let's see. He, uh, first of all, he has a bunch of themed days. 
It's super exciting. There's a bunch of themed days. We'll get to those in a second over the next few days. I need themes. Like, frankly, I loved Infrastructure Week so much that I need, like, Infrastructure Day, Equity Day. We're going to get all of those. So what exactly are the, uh, are the executive orders? So according to CNN, there were 17 of them. Nine of them were directly reversing things that, that Donald Trump had done. He extended an existing nationwide moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. He extended the pause on student loan payments, all of which is fine for the moment. He rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, which should be a treaty and should be submitted to the Senate as a treaty. But Captain Constitution over here, he's perfectly happy with joining all of these non-binding agreements and pretending that they are not, in fact, treaties. He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, which even pissed off Justin Trudeau, right? Handsome Bernie up north, he was like, this is really bad. Like That's a, that's a good way for us to remain competitive on the world markets. Also, he rescinded the Trump administration's 1776 commission and directed agencies to review their actions to ensure racial equity. Oh, goody, goody gumdrops. So remember that big fight we had this year over whether critical race theory should be taught inside America's government? Well, now, it, now it's going to be. They're going to just go right back to teaching 1619 propaganda about how America's evil and terrible and white supremacist and how the only way to fight white supremacy is by changing the structure of the system and how government is the only body capable of changing those underlying evil structures. So he's going to do that. He also signed an executive order preventing workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. So that'll be exciting as he applies that to all sorts of federal contractors who wish to uphold their own religious uh, or and or factual values, by the way. When you're talking about, you know, basically ma mandating that all sorts of government sponsored or government funded agencies now have to go along with radical gender ideology. You know what that means, by the way? So Abigail Schreier points out, on day one, Biden unilaterally eviscerates women's sports. Any educational institution that receives federal funding must admit biologically male athletes to women's team, women's scholarships, et cetera. A new glass ceiling was just placed over girls. So that sounds unifying to me, right? Is that we are now going to be essentially forcing all sorts of women's only groups to allow in men who believe they are women, including in sports. He's going to change the census requiring non-citizens to be included in the census and apportionment of congressional representatives. Of course he wants to do this. So the idea here is you're going to maximize the number of illegal immigrants who enter the United States. Then you're going to count them in the census and they are all going to centralize because they tend to in heavily blue areas where benefits are given. And then we're just going to apportion more congressional seats on the basis of people who can't legally vote because they're not in the country legally. So that is a thing that he is doing. He is also going to be undoing Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. We're going to stop enforcing the law on immigration. He's also going to direct the OMB director to develop recommendations to modernize the regulatory review and undoing Trump's regulatory approval process. So he's going to make it easier to issue recommend, recommended regulatory restrictions. So all of this sounds super unifying to me, does it not? It, I mean, this is, this is really, really unifying stuff. Very exciting. In other news, Joe Biden has announced that they are worried that the virus is spinning out of control. So remember, five minutes ago before he was president of the United States, it was I'm going to come in here and I'm going to quash the virus. Remember, he says, I'm not going to crush you. I'm not going to crush the economy. I'm going to crush the virus. Uh, so that was out the window in literally the first five minutes of the administration. According to Bloomberg, President Joe Biden's team is increasingly worried the coronavirus pandemic is spiraling out of control. Imperiling his promise to contain the outbreak as cases and deaths mount, vaccinations lag, and a more transmissible strain emerges in the U.S., according to people familiar with the matter. Love how the media is just lowering expectations for sleepy old Joe here. That's great. As they learn more about the federal response to the pandemic, Biden's transition team grew alarmed at a lack of coordination with states. The people said, oh, we're going to just blame it on the guy before. What a novel strategy. I've never heard anything like it. Biden himself has warned of a dark winter and has flatly said the pandemic will worsen before it improves. The stakes are escalating. U.S. hospitalizations are at near record levels. Of course, the Washington Post, by the way, uh, they have an excellent newsletter they put out called The Health 202. Um, Paige Cunningham writes it. And here is their headline today. Biden's just-released coronavirus strategy keeps vaccine goals modest. By this, Paige Cunningham presumably means that he's not actually going to do all that much that is different from what is actually being done. His aim, 100 million shots administered in the next 100 days, would require a roughly 25% ramp-up from the current daily rate, which is hovering about 800,000 shots administered each day. That daily rate, achieved in the final days of the Trump administration, has remained flat over the past few days, but is more than double what it was two weeks ago. So we've doubled it in two weeks and Biden's gonna be like, well, you know what? We'll, we'll like shoot like slightly higher than that. And then that's about it. Biden seems to be taking an underpromise and overdeliver approach after his predecessor repeatedly made unrealistic promises about immunizations that did not transpire. And at least Paige Cunningham is reporting that honestly. That's pretty obviously what they're doing here. They're, they're 
putting together a plan that supposedly does not actually help things all that much. And then they're going to claim when they exceed the plan, look how wonderful we are. Typical political thing and not not rare. Doesn't matter. Biden's team is saying it's so ambitious. Jeffrey Zents, White House Pandemic Response Coordinator, says it's a much faster pace than the current pace, so much faster. He says it's just the start. We believe the comprehensive strategy we've outlined will get the job done. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, so meanwhile, by the way, Amazon, if you believe that corporate America is not in the tank for the Democrats, they are so in the tank for the Democrats. It's insane how in the tank for the Democrats they are. So remember how like one week after the election took place, remember like one week later, Pfizer was like, hey, guess what? We have a working vaccine. And remember how literally three weeks before they knew they had a working vaccine and then they just didn't announce it. That was fun. Well, now Amazon, literally the day that Biden takes office, Amazon goes to Joe Biden. They're like, you know what? We can help you deliver a vaccine. You know what would have been helpful, Amazon, considering how much money you have made off of this pandemic and the fact that everybody, and I'm a big Amazon fan, right? I use Amazon. I'm an original Amazon Prime member. You know what have been really helpful as people were dying of COVID over the last couple of months and we've been having vaccine distribution problems? If you had come around, say, right after the approval of the vaccines and said to the Trump administration, which was already outgoing, it was after the election, hey, guys, we would love to help distribute the vaccine. But you didn't. Instead, you waited till literally the day that Joe Biden took office and magically, just day of days. It's incredible, truly incredible. Today, Amazon has now offered its help. According to NBC News, Amazon has extended an offer to President Joe Biden to assist with the national distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, a move that could expedite the federal effort to combat the pandemic. Dave Clark, CEO of Amazon's consumer business, one of the company's highest ranking executives, sent a letter to the president shortly after he was sworn in Wednesday. He said, as you begin your work leading the country out of the COVID-19 crisis, Amazon stands ready to assist you in reaching your goal of vaccinating 100 million Americans in the first 100 days of your administration. We are prepared to leverage our operations, IT and communications capabilities and expertise to assist your administration's vaccination efforts. Our scale allows us to make a meaningful impact immediately in the fight against COVID-19. We stand ready to assist you in this effort. Well, you know what would have been really great is if you had um, not been politically driven jerks and actually done that you know, like before Biden took office. That had been really solid stuff. I'm sensing all of the unification and the coming together right here. I mean, honestly, it's very, very strong. Speaking of which, Joe Biden's immigration priorities are very much open and they are transformational. Byron York has a piece of the Washington Examiner talking about it. He says, the new Biden administration says it must act quickly with a flurry of executive orders because the nation is experiencing not one, not two, not three, but four crises. So President Biden should undo much of what Trump did as quickly as possible. Of Biden's 17 actions, three dealt with coronavirus, two dealt with the economy, two dealt with climate, two with racial equity, one with the census, one with ethics, one with regulation, and five with immigration. Five with immigration. So it is pretty clear the top priority here is immigration. It is perhaps the top issue for the Democratic base, says Byron York, from grassroots organizers to big tech billionaires, and so it is the top issue for the new Democratic president. During the Democratic presidential primary debate, Biden refused to advocate a deportation freeze, instead defending the Obama administration's deportation policy, but he came under heavy pressure from Hispanic activist groups and then changed his position. He said in a March 2020 debate, the first 100 days of my administration, no one, no one will be deported at all. So the current process has now stopped cold. Apparently, Biden's order says the U.S. can deport an illegal immigrant if there's a written finding by the director of ICE that the immigrant had endangered had engaged in or is in, or is suspected of terrorism or espionage or poses a danger to the national security of the United States. And ICE can deport people who have arrived in the United States since November 1st, which means the election. But those are options and Biden doesn't have to exercise them. And again, he has promised he's not going to deport anyone in the first 100 days. So all of this is, uh, I, I think, greatly unifying. You can feel the unity breaking out all over. This is not going to be just Biden exercising power from the executive branch in defiance of constitutional mandate. It is not Joe Biden just ignoring one half of the country to push forward a bunch of lefty causes to the clapping seal, seal claps of the media. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be unity, guys. It's going to be discussion and unity and wonder. Can you feel all of it breaking out? Can you feel all of it breaking out right now? Oh, you can't because you think that it's mainly a bunch of pablum and talk? Yeah, I'm getting that indicator too. I'm getting that indicator too. All righty, we'll be back here today with one additional hour of content. Also, coming up soon is the Matt Wall Show. It airs at 1.30 p.m. Eastern today. Matt is breaking down his take on why a Patriot Party is a bad, bad idea. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2021. Joe Biden made it a day one priority to ensure that boys and girls use the same bathroom, plus a 100-day mask mandate goes into effect, and a professional video game player suffers a career-ending injury. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 